Hello and welcome to the Successionistas. The Successionistas! A weekly podcast recapping and discussing the award-winning HBO TV show Succession. I'm Anna Bogutska, writer, broadcaster and Succession superfan. And I'm Mike Munzer, a producer and podcaster and Succession obsessive. And in this podcast, we'll be taking you through the highs and the lows of the Roy family saga every week, recapping every episode of Succession's fourth and final season, which is airing right now on HBO in the US and Sky and now TV in the UK. And in this episode, we are diving into season four, episode nine, Church and State. He had a terrible force to him and a fierce ambition that could push you to the side. But, but it was only that, that human thing the will to be, and to be seen, and to do. And now people might want to tend and prune the memory of him, to denigrate that force, that magnificent, awful force of him, but my God, I hope it's in me. Because if we can't match his vim, then God knows the future will be sluggish and gray. Apologies for my voice, my lack of energy and potentially any absolutely insane things that I'm about to say over the next hour because I am in the middle of Cannes Film Festival and I'm, I've slept approximately 10 hours over five days. Oh my god. And how has it been, Anna? Have you seen some amazing films out there so far? I saw Succession episode nine. Oh my god. And that's... I saw um, that. That's, that's quite the emotional <laughs> ride, right? Especially if you're functioning on not uh-huh. much sleep. That must have been really something. It really was. <laughs> and it's... It was actually really good to get a break from, you know, cinema and premieres and all that Mm -hmm. good shit to go back to my laptop and watch a watermark screener of some very rich people going through a very bad time. (sighs) And it is a very bad time for everyone because this is the episode where we bury Logan Roy. It really felt like a kind of big, you know, it's the penultimate ever episode, but it almost could have felt like the final episode, right? This huge monumental event, this funeral. Everyone, basically everyone we've ever known from the show is here, right? We've got people that have worked with Logan, um, people like, you know, Colin, and then you've got all of the women in his life. We've got Lady Caroline. All the wives and the mistresses. we've got Marsha, we've got (laughs) Kerry, uh, all of the staff, of course. You've got Jerry and Carl and Frank, and then you've got people like Matson and you've got Menkin, not to mention, of course, the Roys. In fact, the only person that was pretty noticeably absent from the funeral was Tom Womscams, right? Busy... Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. dealing with kind of ATN backlash. But essentially, yeah, this is the day of the funeral. We begin with Roman kind of, you know, very excitedly preparing his speech. He's 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 kind of on cloud nine because of the Menken win the night before. He's feeling himself. He's oh. like, I'm the I'm the top boy of the Roy's. I'm the top Roy boy. And I'm gonna absolutely kill it. And of course what we learn on succession over and over again is that every time one of these Roy siblings think they are on top, uh, they are about to have probably the following episode, a cataclysmic fall from grace, right? <laughs> Which is what we see Roman have in the this absolutely beautiful monumental episode i think one of the absolute all-time succession episodes and just television episodes generally i think this episode is basically a masterpiece particularly um the actual stuff at the funeral so as soon as they arrive at the funeral things start to sort of go wrong and uh ewan uncle ewan of course the brilliant james cromwell is back in this episode he kind of takes the spotlight hogs the spotlight despite greg's best efforts to stop him from going up on stage to give his own little eulogy unplanned Um, and of course we'll talk in depth about some of these speeches and eulogies in a bit but Ewan's speech completely throws Roman off Uh, Roman suddenly loses all of that confidence and then when he has to follow Uncle Ewan and go up on stage his kind of nerves paired with the fact that his dead father is lying next to him in a coffin all become a bit too overwhelming for poor Roman and he has a complete meltdown. The biggest meltdown we've ever seen Roman Roy have. Um, And again, my God, we'll talk about this performance from Kieran Culkin, I'm sure, as we go. But uh, yeah, things don't go quite according to plan. You know what? As you say that, I really realise that Succession is a show that 
is the opposite of promoting self-assuredness and confidence in oneself because the minute someone gains even a tiny tiny sliver of confidence Mm. everything comes crushing down and they fuck it up in a major often very public way so actually succession is teaching us be insecure you'll be safer i think so i think so so uh, he has a huge breakdown this kind of in a way long-awaited breakdown i think where he finally grieves breaks down and cries really the first time we've ever sort of seen that and obviously we'll talk about roman and kira culkin um Mm -hmm. and he's his siblings are kind of left to pick up the pieces shiv says a little speech about kind of very personal it feels like kind of talking about her childhood growing up with logan as a dad Mm -hmm. and then kind of his his treatment to women and stuff and and kendall has this kind of big almost kind of presidential speech about uh, logan's empire right and 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 the money and it's basically a speech about capitalism that results in like a round of applause so as ever that kind of the, the power dynamic shift right with kendall kind of on his way to becoming the new logan roy by the end of the episode and roman kind of very much at the bottom of the heap but um and lots of other stuff to discuss along the way but what did you think of this episode generally anna like how was that kind of emotional journey for you Well, you said it right. It is an emotional odyssey in an hour and 15 minutes. And what's really interesting is that it is, it's all one day, same as everything else in the, in this season. And it's all structured around Logan's funeral, which is both the best and the worst party in New York City, seemingly, (laughs) because all the powers that be and all the worst people in America are there to pay their respects slash moves with each other at Logan's party. And it is also essentially a sideshow. And it's a it's a presentation to stakeholders in a way, but in a much different way, because now all eyes are fully and they have been for the majority of the season since episode three on the Sibs. Mm. But this is where they have everyone in the audience. Matson is there. Menken is there. You know, the two power players that have been in the foreground, especially Matson for the entirety of the season and now very directly um, opposed to one another, you know. Mm. Matson wants his deal, his purchase of Waystar to go through. Mencken wanted the support of ATN and he got it in the condition that he blocked that deal. So mm. they are both pawns in the siblings rivalry and scheming around their dad's legacy and company while also being fundamentally much more powerful than any one of them or all three of them together. But they were they were being judged you know it's essentially a popularity contest for the sibs you know who's gonna come um, who's gonna come out winning is it gonna be roman is it gonna be shiv is it gonna be kendall so they all do their speeches well i'm including roman here because he attempts to and very publicly humiliates himself in a human way but that is not the roy way right so there's no compassion for him at all in the room and you know that sets off a different set of rivalries, a different set of wins and losses in this episode. But what is really interesting is that we get um, that never ending grind of corporate power and corporate power grabbing at the funeral. While at the same time, these quite slim little windows into Logan as a person through different people. You know, the speech that Ewan gives his brother about the way that he was mistreated, the way that he carried the guilt for the death of their sister for his entire life, the way that he allowed evil to flourish in the world and his mean disposition, but also his the hugeness of his character. And all his ex-wives and their mistresses, you know, kind of making peace with one another and sharing a joke about Logan grinding his teeth all night. Mm. Uh, Again, relatable, but, you know, let's not go there. (laughs) But still, there's, you know, so amongst all the corporate bullshit that we get, much more of the same stuff, really, we get these little, little windows into Logan the person that go beyond his relationship with his children, which I found very revealing. And again... Not at all. I don't think any of the, nothing in the episode was trying to, you know, make us feel pity or necessarily humanize or pander to, you know, oh, he's a monster, but he was just a neglected child 50 years ago. I think it's just like, you know, he is fundamentally a monstrous personality, but there were those, those momentous instances in his life that contributed to that and you can kind of see that in you you it makes you think of brian cox's performance and the previous three almost four seasons Mm. and you think okay 
And the show has always done that. Like even in way back in season one, when we get a glimpse of Logan's back just covered in scars yeah. uh, as he emerges from a swimming pool. And you know that there's something really dark and re- in a history of abuse there where he's the victim and not the perpetrator. But we never go into it because that's enough. Those little slivers of window into Logan's personhood is more than enough. And it the this episode gave us a few more of those to complete the picture of Logan Roy. Yeah, what a beautiful episode it was. Like I really thought, especially the first half, you know, like the the kind of pre-funeral section and then the the speeches, you know, so much of this episode, a good like maybe what, 15, 20 minute chunk of this episode was just those speeches, the Ewan speech, the Roman breakdown, the Kendall speech, the Shiv speech. That stuff was just beautiful. Like again, you know, just like Mm. how, you know, these sibs, deserve all the awards in the world i think you know uh, and and like they really get their chance to kind of shine in the spotlight in this episode um and i think yeah you're right you know that kind of glimpse into logan it doesn't so much like you said kind of you know l- let him off the hook for his behavior but i think one of the quite sad really sad things about this episode that the series has kind of always kind of done is it obviously it, it has that kind of that tension that nothing they can do as a family is just a family thing everything is a public thing everything is a reputation yes. thing it goes all the way back to episode yeah. one when kendall had to does he go to his father's birthday party or does he miss it to be the better businessman and there is constantly this back and forth all the way up until their own you know dad's funeral but also this mm-hmm. feeling of history constantly repeating itself this cycle of generational trauma and abuse right that logan was basically abused as a child maybe that has something to do with the person that he grew up to be and you get the feeling it's going to almost happen again to these three siblings right what we keep seeing is how you know kind of damaged they are really in a way and there are these little nuggets of kendall not being a good father in this episode right and then a pretty big nugget yeah yeah and then shiv saying oh i i can just be one of those mums that has 36 hours maternity leave and then doesn't see her kid for the you know like mm-hmm. there the is family way yeah the family way this this horrible feeling of dread in this episode too that even looking back on logan's childhood how he was this guy with a brother and a sister just like the three sibs and you know they have almost this kind of mirrored you know thing going on and it just emphasizes that idea that these three siblings are, are doomed to kind of repeat those same mistakes basically aren't they again all of them mm-hmm. fighting to be their father whereas actually as so many people often tell them you're not your father and maybe that's a good thing right but they never hear that and i think you know this seeing all of this play out at this funeral was like a perfect way of kind of really bringing that home i think for the end of the show that again it's just like the ultimate tragedy of these three is that they keep wanting to be their father when actually that's the worst thing they can be right you know yeah well it's you've said it yourself quite rightly it's the cycle of of abuse right Mm, and neither mm -hmm. one of them uh seemingly wants to and definitely isn't capable of breaking that and breaking a cycle of generational trauma is unbelievably hard yeah and they if they don't recognize that that's what's happening they're not going to break it and breaking it means essentially taking a side against their family and Mm. one thing that's extremely clear and kind of the the funeral aspect of it as well is a is a very visual um way of showing us that this episode and the show all along has been about taking sides right even when season three was premiering it was very much like whose side are you on own logan's or kendall's and here it's the same you know are you on logan's side or are you with everyone else because everyone Mm. else is them and us the royce that's us so it's the sibs against the world and by the end of the episode it's very much roman and ken very actively against shiv because Mm -hmm. they all are fighting for the same pie yeah but they are pitting one another like pitting themselves against one another but the one thing that they unite themselves on and this is why the speeches are important like kendall comes up a shift comes up because they haven't said everything they need to say from our side so they want their side meaning logan's to be Mm -hmm. fully represented and kind of defended even in front of as we both said the stakeholders yeah 
it's it's really it's there is just as ever with every episode of Succession, there's just so much going on in this big gathering, right? And it's just fascinating to see. I'm also just impressed, Anna, again, mm. at how they managed to keep Logan's death a secret from the world. When especially when you're filming a massive scene like this with God knows however many hundreds of extras, every single cast member coming together to film this huge spectacular sequence, right? This huge procession and in this giant cathedral building like again it's just it just like all the stuff going on on the streets of New York mm. in this episode as well like this felt like a really large scale episode of television again really visually directorially impressive as well mm. I think you know and again I was like wow it's actually still amazing I think that the world was so shocked that Logan died um, in episode 3 and that they managed to keep all of it under wraps you know it's pretty impressive I know now that you mention it like we get you know essentially so much footage from the, the set of big films or yeah. big TV shows we get little glimpses of people filming Filming, and there's been nothing. I mean, maybe somewhere deep, deep down in the succession reddits, but it would have caught on fire if we had seen something like this. Mm. So who do we talk about first? Um, should we talk about Roman first? Shall think? we talk about our dear baby girl, Roman Roy? <sighs> He's having a very, very bad day. What an incredible... I mean, like, Kieran Culkin, my God, right? My do you know what? God. I was convinced from that scene on the mountaintop with Matson that he had already got his Emmy. Mm-hmm. He can literally submit any episode, mm-hmm. any episode of the season. It's on. I no words. It's no not words. The exhaustion. It's genuinely like it is. It's you know detractors might say it's a very showy performance. Like this is what we want. This is what we think acting is. Is when it's very much out there. It's visible. You know, he's crying. He's convulsing in grief. He really. It's such a vanity-free performance in this episode. Yes, he sniffles he makes this really high pitched pitched cries he is so reduced to a child version of himself mm-hmm. it is it's quite harrowing to watch like he makes a, a a spectacle of himself because he's been bottling up this and probably so many other things so many so long so absolutely in denial that the minute he actually has to he sees the the coffin with his father in it in front of him he can't speak it overtakes him mm-hmm. what is it he says again he sort of says is is dad in there can we please get him yeah. out you know like he doesn't want to yeah. see him there right and i think roman again it, 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 he is it's such a brilliant roman episode because for the first like 20 to 30 minutes of this episode he is at his most roman as well right he's feeling okay. cocky he's feeling confident that brilliant scene in the car when shiv tells them she's pregnant and he says is it mine and he's making all these gross jokes about jerking yeah. off when she breastfeeds and he's at and his when Marcia most shows Roman, up, right? yeah. yeah, he's like, oh, wait till I have sex with her in dad's coffin. He's like, oh, I know you think I have an audible complex. And you know what? I do. And then like, don't king shame me about my audible content, uh, complex. It's so perfect. Like, he's so, so funny. And then what's mm. brilliant is it doesn't feel, um, I don't know, it doesn't, f- it feels really organic and real that moment when he breaks down because you see it in his face and you're right you know he has this big acting moment when he actually cries Mm. really the first time we've ever seen roman roy cry right and and um but it's actually the moments before that like him watching Ewan's speech and his face dropping and the color draining from his face you know like you can see that panic and grief start to creep in from the moment the coffin arrives and the procession into Ewan's speech he is like losing it isn't he and you can and again Kieran Culkin's face and the the moments in those scenes in his eyes where you can see that life draining draining away from him were just amazing you know yeah it's the it's as you say the um the panic setting in on his face. Yeah. It's the fact that, you know, this, that he has to follow something up, that the plan that he had concocted in his head is not going ahead. Mm -hmm. That also Ewan is spilling things about Logan that Roman clearly, probably nobody ever knew. So it's like humanizing Logan in front of Roman at this point is just accelerating his panic you know because he we we don't get to hear his speech really but i imagine it's very at least the intent of it is not dissimilar to 
uh, Kendall's one of, you know, he's this big time of, of industry and that's why he's great and that's why he matters yeah. is because he built a massive business. You see that it, it becomes really personal and it's negative. It's largely negative. And he's like, what am I going to do? Am I, he's, I'm, I'm going to need to stand up and be my dad and kind of the the facade of Logan that we had seen him embody so well in the previous two episodes specifically mm. and the last one in particular you know he goes full Logan and he's full of bravado and and you know and is aggressive in that kind of corporate shark kind of way it all falls away and it's just little Roman Roy like he becomes a kid who's lost his dad and has not properly grieved and no one no one will hug him. And that's why he, you know, he calls for his siblings immediately and they kind of come up and they hug him and he's like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. And it's in front of everyone as well, which is, you know, that it's uncontainable because it happens in front of everyone. Yeah, exactly. You get that deliberate close up on people like Matson and Menken who are watching him as well. Right. And you're just like, well, that's it. That's it for Roman's reputation, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and it's, but it's a real human moment and his siblings show a bit of humanity there as well. Don't they? You know, they do hold him and embrace him for a minute. And, and, but of course, as we've seen time and time again, this is where Kendall's strengths lie, right? Kendall then gets up on that in front of that plinth and he is so much better at actually kind of delivering these kind of public speeches in a way that Roman just never ever seems to be able to do mm -hmm. right and uh, he gives this speech that kind of completely is he gets the results exactly that Roman wanted right Roman when he practices it in the mirror at the beginning you know he says a few words and we catch kind of glimpses of the speech and there's a moment isn't there when Roman says don't I perhaps remind you of him just a little bit right you know yes. like he thinks he's becoming the next Logan he's so sure of himself at that point and he so desperately wants to be the next Logan he doesn't want to be Roman Roy he wants to be Logan Roy mm. more than anyone else like Kendall wants to be himself and perhaps like live up to or even um surpass his dad but Ke but Roman just wants to be Logan he wants to be a, a carbon copy he doesn't have any selfhood of his own no. And Kendall figures out a way to kind of do this kind of awkward shift from Ewan's speech into this triumphant speech, right, where he starts off by going, he was a brute, you know, he was a monster, mm -hmm. but this, 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 and he found a way to kind of, and it, and it and it ends up with a round of applause, you know, how often in a funeral would you get a round of applause, like it's ridiculous, and like Mencken is smiling as if to be like, mm -hmm. oh, this guy, you know, um, and yeah, so it's a kind of, it's, it's, a, it's such, and of course Roman is just left looking completely like a shell of a man for basically the rest of the episode, right, mm -hmm. um, there is that moment when he encounters Menken at the at the wake, uh, and Menken just kind of dismisses him, right? Yeah. And he's and fucked it, that relationship by showing humanity. Completely fucked it. And then, what on earth do you make of that final five minutes with Roman when he walks out into the street and we get the riot and the protests, sorry, and all of that, you know? So before, just before that, we get the conversation between Roman and Ken, when Ken is is jumping on the opportunity. He's like, he's now the one that's in with Mencken because, you know, the allegiances shift really quickly. It depends on who has the power in any given situation, mm. not kind of long-term power. And then when mm. even Mencken, maybe he... Maybe it's decided through kind of looking into the election stuff that he isn't actually elected president, but at the moment mm. it's as if he was, right? Because they called it. So it's like this re weird wishy-washy vacuum of power that everybody's kind of trying to grab at. And Ken is basically saying, we're going to go hard against Shiv. I've got a plan. This is happening on my terms. I'm doing this and I'm telling you, you need to support me in the same way that he, in this previous scene, buys Colin, buys his silence, buys his loyalty and essentially gets Colin back into Waystar and guarantees that he's not going to spill anything through, bless Colin, going to therapy. Yes. That he's not going to disclose any sensitive information about the Roys. And, and he is essentially... He's not bullying. He's forcing Roman to side with him because Roman is at his weakest and he's like, fucking hell, I can't do this right now. He's like, well, you gotta, you gotta, and what we're gonna do is what I say. And it's, you know, the Roy boys versus Shiv the Shiv. Yeah. And 
There's something interesting that I actually like didn't fully pick up on in the first watch is that we also see the executives, the senior executives of Waystar talking about video of Roman crying and breaking down, having been leaked and circulating online. And we just hear this little whisper of the whimpers um, that were heard as he was breaking down into tears. They said they think it's Ray that recorded it. Apparently it's Ray. Ray. Yeah. (laughs) And then they, we, we see Roman walk out and he walks into this riot that is happening and starts yelling at protesters, starts picking a fight and then jumps the, the gate and kind of gets into there. And I genuinely thought that the scene was going to cut as he was going to be on the floor. Yeah. And that that the next episode would see him either severely injured or possibly dead because they would have, um, you know, trampled him. Yeah. And I think like the size of him as well really matters. He's a small, he's a small guy in like the stampede of people, which is scary anyway. And he's unhinged. He's fully untethered, Mm -hmm. gone feral. Like he's looking to be punished because now it's like the, the shame that all his like sexual hangups, all his jokes and stuff, there is such a profound sense of shame in Roman and it's been so palpable from the very beginning of the show. Mm. And here it's like triplicated because he's just cried in public and that's like mm. the ultimate humiliation for him. And he just, I think he was looking to get hurt, to like get beat yeah. up yes. on the street. And it, it, it like, it felt like a, it felt like a Gaspar Noe film. I'm like, this can only end in violence. Definitely. And that cut gives us nothing. We don't know what's happening with Roman by the end of the episode, but he is in a really, um, in a fundamental, I know it's a really popular word right now on the on the talk, but he's in an unhinged state. He's looking to hurt himself. Definitely, yeah. He's really, really at the his lowest low uh, by the end of that episode, isn't he? And yeah, I thought that too. I thought, is, Ken- is Roman about to die, potentially? It was almost like a, it was almost like a similar parallel to the Kendall sinking into the swimming pool moment, right? And the penultimate episode mm-hmm. of season three as well. Like it had that vibe about it. And it's a, it's a really, uh, really powerful moment. And also just the powerful kind of feeling of dread on the outside of the Roy siblings in this episode, you know, protests, fireworks going off, people banging on their cars from the outside. Again, like you really, it sort of feels apocalyptic, this episode, doesn't it? Like, this is it. This is, and we talked about this a lot last week, but this is the end result of the siblings' actions, essentially, like absolute real chaos Mm -hmm. you know civil unrest essentially in america and the world and uh yeah you kind of get that firsthand in this episode where it it almost feels like this funeral this wake this this family is in danger of something happening at any given moment as well um and all of that madness happening in the streets while they're in this huge massive plush cathedral building you know so yeah amazing amazing stuff an amazing episode for roman um and what about ken because i feel like ken sort of it almost has like a full Darth Vader yeah. moment, doesn't he? Like this kind of ultimate, I have become my father, this Michael Corleone, this kind of, yeah, uh, Anakin Skywalker transformation, I feel like, gradually throughout this episode. You know, at the beginning of the episode, at the, in the beginning of this day, he's having a very bad morning. His his kids are leaving him. His ex-wife is leaving him. His assistant leaves him. Everything is being stripped away and stripped away from Kendall. He's found out that his sister is plotting against him. And there is this moment, right? He, he, come, he approaches Hugh go at the wake and he he gives quite a chilling speech you know he sort of he's again he kind of he's resigned to the fact that he's gone full villain it feels like he kind of goes look life isn't nice people who say they love you they also want to fuck you and here's what I want to do I want to rule the world you can be my dog you know are you with me and and it's and it's very blunt and I think there's something very interesting in the score as well the score turns very very sinister at that moment you know Hugo life isn't nice it's contingent. People who say they love you also fuck you. So this is an explicit plan to fuck the deal. Me rule the world. And you can come, but it won't be a collaboration, okay? You'll be my dog. But the scraps from the table will be millions. Millions. Happy? Woof, woof. Is this it? Is this officially Kendall's big transformation into his father moment here, signified by that music? I mean, the thing is, 
I'm a bit over Kendall's transformation into Darth Vader. Mm. You know, because... Or Darth Vader Jr., I should say. <laughs> yeah. Because, frankly, every season we get at least one or two of those. You know, so he is riding high at this very moment. He did pull a pretty amazing, again, slightly fascistic kind of speech, which we know Mencken loves mm-hmm. and the ATN audience love, um, out of his ass in the middle of the funeral. So great improvising skills. Mm-hmm. And he does have kind of his puppets in place, right? He's got Hugo, who he has dirt on. He's got Colin who he's bought, who's kind of aimless after he was let go, presumably after Logan's death. So now he just gets him back. He's got Mencken now in his pocket. So he is making use of his current situation. But the thing is, and I'm sure we've spoken about this before on the on the podcast, Kendall was always a prick. Yeah, yeah always. Kendall is not a good person person kendall was fooling himself for well the whole of season three that he was a good ethically sound moral person who was just you know a product of his environment meaning like you know being born incredibly rich and um entitled but he always like felt entitled Mm. to power Mm -hmm. as opposed to wanting it so bad that he would you know do anything uh, and kind of a f- the fuck up of the family, right? Yeah, 100%. But here he is, the kind of the, the prickness of him, like the very honest um, element of Kendall, which is he is, a, he is a bad dad. Like he cares, but he doesn't care enough to be good. And here he's finally learned, I think, how to manipulate people a bit better or how to be very explicit, not be like, oh, no, you should join me because I'm better. He's like, no. I've got all the cards right now, so I'm going to do this. You can join me and the scraps will be very good. Yes. Like millions good. But this is what's happening whether you like it or not. And you can either get fucked or you can get rich with me. Exactly. Yeah, there's no bullshit in him anymore, really, apart from just the fact that he is a big mm-hmm. bag of bullshit himself, really, isn't he? But but yes, there's none of that <laughs> kind of like trying to seduce people. He is like, look, here's here's the deal. You know, like, come and I'm, I'm I'm not looking to collaborate with anyone. I'm looking to be the boss, you know, come and work for me and it will it will pay off for you, you know, literally. But um, the moments he has at the beginning of this episode are really interesting, right? His his altercation with Rava in the opening scene and then particularly his altercation with Jess, I thought were two brilliant yes. moments, right? Like the the. The Rava thing is 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 just Ken at his most pathetic in a way, isn't it? When he's like, Rava's obviously leaving. She's worried about what's going on in the city. She's worried about the Menken situation. Her kids are genuinely scared and she seems scared, right? And she's trying to be kind of quite civil. And she's like, I'm just going to take the kids upstate away from the city. And he's like... I'm going to get a court order. And then he goes, I'm going to stand in front of the car. And then he goes, I'm going to lie in front on the road. And like, he doesn't do any of these things, but he's just like this desperate attempt to, to, to keep his, his uh, ex-wife and kids, you know? Um, and then of course, this kind of moment with Jess as well. I mean, it's like, yeah. What did you think of this stuff with Ken in this like early part of the episode? Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call the encounter with Jess an altercation because that's, you know, she, quits but i think what's really interesting about both those moments happening pretty much in quick succession to one another is that he's kendall has been abandoned by the two most stable women in his life right and ken does not do well with abandonment Uh, so obviously he lashes out at rava he says he's gonna do all this stuff but he doesn't do it because he doesn't really want to or have the balls he's just desperately trying to cling on to a mess that he contributed to creating and with jess you know jess is sympathetic he's like i don't want to do it now we should have a talk later on not right now it's the funeral he coaxes she he coaxes it out of her and she's like okay i'm gonna think it's time for me to move on she quits in a really um elegant graceful way and he's like, you're being dumb, it's juvenile, everyone's being fucking dumb. He puts on his sunglasses, his like <laughs> big boy Kenny sunglasses, and he walks away because like he's fully, you know, in defense mechanism it's, in this point. It's so good, and, that moment, the way it escalates, because he starts off by going, yeah. yeah, fine, 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 you know, and then he's like, but hang on. And then like, he gets, he gets himself more and more angry throughout that scene, doesn't he? And then when it ends with him going 
thanks for telling me today, Jess. Really great timing. <laughs> it's like, it yeah, was so yeah. good. It was so good. It was, oh. it was beautiful and just how simple and um, utterly predictable it was. As in like, of course, Jess is going to quit. You literally just like elected a racist fascist into pr- the presidency. Like, come on, yes. Kendall. Yes. Like, no wonder ev- like everybody at Waystar should quit. But... And when she goes, he's like, well, where are you going to get that kind of access? I'm like, you know what? Probably like good yes. for Jess. Wish her the very best. I hope she gets to work at a much better company for a much less unhinged, uh, traumatizing boss. But like if she's going to continue being an executive PA, she's going to do absolutely fine. I think Kendall was probably her Miranda Priestley where it's like, well, if you worked for Kendall Roy for a year, you can get a job anywhere because no one's going to be as bad as that. Yes, exactly. And it's so interesting, isn't it? Because I feel like we have this conversation every time someone quits. We're like, good for mm. you. Get the hell out of yeah, there. Right. Um, and it's yeah. so true. And it's funny to see all of their people in their lives being stripped away. Right. Roman lost Jerry. He's now lost Menken. You know, Kendall is losing the, the, the most stable people people in his life Shiv has basically lost Tom right and 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 you can see that the three of them are just becoming more and more isolated and of course isolated from each other as well and that that classic thing that we all say over and over again is that if maybe these three could be a united front that could be something but of course they never ever are mm. and, and then of course there's this sort of chilling feeling by the end of this episode of resignation that these three know that they're done for essentially Kendall knows that he's lost everything but all he wants is power Shiv has kind of accepted to the fact that she's going to be a bad mother but she might be a ceo and roman has completely lost everything and destroyed himself so it's a it, it's it's a kind of very tragic but inevitable end to this arc uh, of these three siblings i think but i want to talk about kendall's speech which frankly amazing incredible and again jeremy strong i feel like we don't even need to say it but jeremy strong fucking incredible as ever right yeah yeah and i have to say like i do think he's playing with like slightly less um colors in this season mainly because he's had like such an incredible seasons in in you know season one seasons are basically mostly about kendall and these ones i think have been especially this one has been more prioritizing roman yeah. and shiv and that's fine like jeremy strong is excellent as a supporting actor as much as he is as a lead it's an ensemble piece after all but you no know, he he kind of comes into his own and just the brilliance of the writing in that speech you know people when he talks about the memory of a man as large and as monstrous as Logan, you know, this force, this magnificent, awful force Mm. of him. Oh, that is a great line. He's like, I hope it's in me. Because if we can't match his vim, then God knows what the the future will be sluggish and gray. And that line, like, I think seeing those speeches, you know, and and Shiv, you know, when we talk of her, she talks about, you know, how he was hard on women, especially. In very elegant, concise, very cutting sentences, it just compresses the whole of Logan, right? He is he's an impossible character. Yeah, you you can't, can't solve him. Yeah. You can't solve him. Nobody can. Nobody can really capture him. Uh, he is both the embodiment of capitalist evil and at the same time the American dream made flesh. He is a horrible man and also a great man like uh, horrible in so many ways and at the same time so big that it's impossible to just categorize him as a stone cold monster because there are so many textures and perspectives on him and i thought the use of kind of three speeches about him at his funeral from well four let's count roman as well four people that were very close to him that couldn't untether themselves from him, even if they wanted to, like Ewan, for instance. All that, like, bad-mouthing Logan and that side of the family, and then he always comes back. He always comes in, and he always has something to say, even though it's never nice. It's like, I think it's um testament to that largeness yeah. of personality yeah. and of character and of legacy. And the show's done an amazing job, I think, in season four. I know I've, I've heard some people say that they've kind of... The, the problem they've had with this season is that they've missed Brian Cox. Mm. I actually think the show's done an amazing job of kind of keeping this, like, ghost of this great man lingering whilst also... I actually found that I haven't missed him that much because I think the sibling, I think, you know, 
God, Sarah Snook, Kieran Culkin, Jeremy Strong have been better than they've ever been, especially sort of combined, you know, in this in this season that I think they've really kind of held the show together so well. Um, but you're right, you know, that kind of the, the, the picture that all of these speeches create of this man and this this kind of looming presence you know and uh, Shiv as well you know like hers is a little bit more personal than Kendall's but again like the words she chooses to use about him she calls him her sort of her world as well right and like all of these kind of things is it's an amazing it's an amazing little sequence that kind of shows the gravity of this man right and not just in this television show but in this whole world that the show's created Mm. um yeah it was amazing stuff absolutely amazing and jeremy strong you're right i know what you mean i've heard a couple of people talk about this about how like it feels like kieran culkin and sarah snook have both had these like big moments where you think like we've already said these are their emmy moments and it almost feels like jeremy strong hasn't had that yet is he gonna have that moment in the finale or has he sort of had it but in a slightly more low-key way all through the season you know because it's hard to tell jeremy strong is always so good but he hasn't necessarily like you said had those big rousing emotional moments maybe in the way that the other two have this season the most rousing moments with kendall this season have been in his moments with rava i think those are the ones where he kind of really let go and kind of became a bit more of the hysterical uh kendall that we we've learned to love over four seasons but he's he is he's more effective when he's in the background he's doing smarter stuff he's being sneakier He's serving his own interests better when he's not being big because Kendall has made a lot of mistakes when he's tried to go big. And this season, the moments where he does, like with the Living Plus episode or with the funeral speech in this one, he actually wins. And I think that's partly because he just has these... He does his little scheming in the background and then he goes really big. And it's yeah. in those moments where he succeeds because he's actually not rinsed himself out uh, in public in a big way, in a way that people kind of are then entitled to just write him off because he is a clown. Yeah. And I do find the dynamic between the three of them so interesting. You know, like you said there, you know, maybe sometimes being the one that's slightly more in the background, even that scene in the car with the three of them together is so perfect, I think, you know, in terms of everything the three of them are doing there. Um, Sarah Snook and Kieran Culkin kind of in the foreground, kind of snapping at each other and um, Jeremy Strong just in the background. And I found the dynamic between them in this episode really interesting because obviously Shiv and Kendall have had this sort of bust up and now they are sort of at opposite there are oppositions to each other right that you know he wants to destroy her he knows that she's betrayed him and yet they do sort of try to put that aside in this episode and Kendall never really snaps or says anything nasty to Shiv throughout this whole episode you know even in the car when they're together I thought oh here we go what are they going to say to each other but it's sort of civil and she tells them she's pregnant and he talks Mm -hmm. about Rava and the kids and she says sorry Ken and stuff and they're it's so interesting that they kind of they will all be sort of civil to each other and talk to each other in the way they always do and yet at the same time they all know that right now they are all out to destroy each other basically Mm -hmm. and they just kind Mm -hmm. of take that as red almost Mm -hmm. but just carry on with their day together um it's a really interesting dynamic i guess it's a healthier way (laughs) In a way, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. kind of because, you know, when Roman starts having his breakdown on the stage, they still come to help him and they shelter him. They physically like cover him so that people aren't looking at him crying and they help him. They help him bring him down. They kind of get him water. They're soothing him. But at the same time, they're trying to stab each other in the back with their corporate shenanigans. But also kind of, they know that now. They're always stabbing each other in the front. But like, yeah, they, they're kind of all okay with it almost. You know, mm-hmm. like, it's very different to the season three Shiv and Ken when he was playing Rape Me while she was trying to give a speech and she wrote that open public letter about his addiction. And yes. like when they were really nastily going at each other publicly we haven't seen that yet this season even though you know it feels like they are in that place again right where now they are they are at like kind of they're opposites so again mm-hmm. maybe that was because they were taking a day off of being like that for the funeral maybe we're going to see more of that next week who knows let's take but... a day off of being a corporate asshole yeah basically basically <laughs> yeah um and speaking of shiv what what do we make of shiv in this episode you know again she has some amazing <sighs> moments i think doesn't she she has amazing lines 
as you know, Shiva's probably one one of my favorite characters of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and increasingly so this season, because I think this season has... Season three really went in on the humiliation of Shiv. Yeah. And this one has had its fair share of let's, let's you know, prod shit and, and hit her where it hurts. But she's also, I think, similarly to Ken, come to realize that she's a piece of shit. Yes. And yes. Shiv has also been a piece of shit and has always thought herself to be the moral, liberal... Um, hardworking, individualistic one. She ain't. Mm-hmm. And I think in this episode, she's finally accepted that about herself and accepted that she wants something and that she will bend whatever moral, ethical, or legal line needs to be bent. Like, we've already seen her do absolutely stupid shit, especially mm-hmm. in the previous episode. Disgusted at length. But here, the parallel between season three and this episode, especially around Mencken, is very obvious and very plain to see. You know, she rallied against him. She thinks he's evil, like he's an evil force that she could not stop because mm-hmm. she's but a single fall liberal voice in a mostly conservative room. And he fits the bill perfectly for what the ATN audience. So she, instead of actually, if she deeply believed in, you know, and feared for the future of the Republic, she would have done something about it. But Shiv knows and has finally, I think, realized that's not who she is. Mm. We see her kind of do in an insanely dark, morally bankrupt thing in season two when she convinces the whistleblower to not uh, declare against Waystar. Yeah. But she still somehow convinced herself that that was for her good. And here she's like, I'm flexible. My dad was flexible and I'm flexible. I do what the ATN viewership wants and the ATN viewership loves Jared. So I respect Mm. their view. Yeah. And it's that flexibility that finally, and again, I don't believe it until it's fully signed. It finally puts her in the CEO spot, or at least that's what Mattson promises her. So she gets a little bit closer to power by finally accepting that she had already um, sacrificed any pretense of a moral compass or an ethical or political standpoint because again similarly to Ken she never was a good person mm. she had just fooled herself into thinking that she was not like her brothers yeah 100% agree with you uh, she does get some amazing moments because I think also the pregnancy stuff finally sort of comes out in this episode, right? So there is her... Oh, she tells everyone, yeah. Yeah, she tells her brothers. There's that great moment. Again, I just Sarah Snook is just phenomenal, I think. She's so natural, I think, in what she does with her face. But that moment when she sort of goes, mm. so I'm going to have to tell mum later. So therefore, let me tell you guys this thing. And it feels like a very believable conversation between the three of them, right? The way that Roman reacts, yeah. the way that Kendall reacts. Um, and I mean, whose sibling doesn't offer to jerk off? if they see their sister (laughs) breastfeeding you know who that's like a thing people do right i don't know i'm an only child but i've always imagined that's what siblings do (laughs) i loved it so much (laughs) what a brilliant moment um and that brilliant encounter i mean i always love harriet walter lady caroline i almost wish lady caroline had had a bit more to do actually in this episode but there were a lot of people to juggle but that amazing moment when lady caroline comes over she literally just says hello to shiv and goes oh and just knows right and then there's this awkward like you okay? Yes. Yes. Great. Yes. Uh-huh. And she's like, well, well. And Shiv yeah. is like, thank you? Question yeah. mark. Yes. It's, it's Jesus. unbelievable, right? Unbelievable. That kind of horrible like relationship, the mother-daughter relationship here is so interesting. Damn, and then... Yeah, the the sad again the sad stuff with Matson where he's already heard that Shiv's pregnant and she's basically already happy to kind of resign to the fact that she's going to be a bad mother or that she's going to be a neglectful mother essentially if in order to become a CEO um all of that and then the conversation with Tom at the end is kind of weird and interesting when Tom is so tired that he breaks down crying and it's just such a again like the scenes with Shiv and Tom are this season have been so interesting and so intense and also so hard to read in certain ways, you know, but always really fascinating, I think. Well, relationships are hard 
and complicated and Shiv and Tom's is really the only romantic relationship we have in yeah. succession that we get to see from sort of both points of view and that we see yeah. develop and crumble and then sort of try to stick together with super glue and um, hopes and dreams of potentially being normal loving human beings at some point in their lives mm. so those are it's I think the one in this episode is a lot more tender and it has a lot more care. You know, Tom apologizes and Shiv is nurturing. She's like, you're exhausted. Go, why don't you go back to the flat? Why don't you sleep? And, you know, when they talk about Logan's last moments and Tom hasn't, you know, he's not family, but he was there with Logan when he died. So and no one's really spoken to him and he hasn't spoken about that moment. And he finally tells Shiv and it's deeply emotional. And it's mm. it's kind in the same way as Tom yeah. showed Shiv kindness in those first instances. And then they absolutely went the other way. Here they kind of are perhaps too exhausted to be savage. Yes. But yeah. there is, you know, going back to the Lady Caroline, Shiv of it all, those interactions are so poisonous. And they're so poisonous from both sides, you know. They fucking hate each other. They are yeah. just the wrong mother and the wrong daughter for each other, or perhaps the exact right ones because they're so similar. Yes. And Shiv also has, you know, like I made the joke at the start of the episode that a succession is encourages, encouraging viewers to just be insecure because that's when things go right. Shiv has such a low estimation of herself in this episode, especially when people talk about her being pregnant. There's no celebration no, of no, her no. pregnancy. She, and she doesn't celebrate it. She just says, you know, Oh, Shiv Roy, she's one of those hard bitches. She's going to do 36 hours of maternity leave, emailing through her vanity cesarean. Poor kid will never see her. She is not very liked. That's how she feels about herself. And it's probably how she feels about her mother as well. There's this really, there's devastating little looks that Sarah Snook gives Harriet Walter and, you know, people around her. And Tom at one point goes, fuck, hell, your mom. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. Those yeah. moments of, you know what, it is so terrible that it is obvious and just nobody has any intention to hide Mm -hmm. the awfulness that it kind of becomes comical that's right and i think that's what you see in this episode with all three siblings right that the facades come down essentially like we've already mentioned mm -hmm. kendall is happy to kind of now openly say i'm i just want to be an, an asshole boss right and and yes. i want all the power i'm not looking to collaborate shiv basically owns up to the fact that like you said she is not a good person she probably won't be a great mother and of course roman's facade comes down as well where he finally breaks down and reveals himself to be a you know the much more vulnerable person that he you know tries to cover up most of the time so yeah you know that's the that's the grief that's the funeral that's that's kind of what happens right and that these these facades come down and everyone everyone feels tired everyone feels raw and everything feels very honest in that way mm -hmm. which is yeah incredible stuff apart from greg maybe who's still just kind of like schmoozing his way around the funeral and being the worst person imaginable you know what i'm making it i'm making a call i'm not going to talk about greg i'm done with this creature i'm like he can go fuck himself he can go like just jump in a fire i do not care you need to get out of my sight you six foot seven little like shit shoveler hate him yeah and there's there's not really anything new to say about him he's just doing the same as he's done the last few weeks yeah. which is just turn up and be this sniveling snake and then leave again really so it's like that's kind of all he does um exactly and, and maybe just a shout out for some of these other characters that, you know, come back. You know, what did you think of? I thought Marsha had some great moments. And I, I really, really loved Marsha and Kerry kind of just like yes. finding a bit of common ground. And I really thought it was one of the most emotional moments in the whole episode when Marsha put her hand on Kerry's hand and Kerry sort of started crying. You know, I thought I loved that. moment. It was a deeply emotional moment. And it's the one kind of act of kindness we see Lady Caroline perform because she takes Kerry by the hand. She brings her over. Yes. She he grabs another woman she's like oh so hey marcia this is carrie and this is my carrie and you know yes. he's dead now <laughs> yes. so we should stop being nasty to each other because who cares he did this to all of us and so yeah. they sit there together all of logan's women his ex-wives his mistresses kind of having sharing a sharing a giggle and, you know, mm -hmm. the fact that they're such carbon copies of each other, just like mm -hmm. 10 years younger every time. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> that 
again it's almost comical but there's this moment when Marsha finally who's been so savage to Carrie mm. puts her hand on her hand and just kind of lets her cry and bless her Carrie who'd brought a friend who's also a lawyer in case things got litigious at a funeral like she's she knows exactly how this family operates yes and that yes. was that was just a beautiful self-contained moment we don't need anything more when no. we don't need anything less I think that's like a a good finale for those kind of tertiary characters completely agree completely agree um and what about connor do you know what i do feel a bit sorry for connor because he did not get to say any words right at this no. funeral <laughs> because he and willow wrote an experimental speech <laughs> formally daring form, but yeah. yeah but actually you know what i felt really good for corner connor because he finally got into the sibs gang because yes. in kendall's speech he mentions, you know, himself and his three siblings. He could have yeah. said two siblings. He could have yes. once again iced out Connor. And it was just that little moment. And I think the camera kind of pans to him. And it's a, it's a small moment of recognition of like, yes, I'm here. I matter. I exist. Yeah. I am part of this family. Yeah. And th these moments that Connor has where, you know, sometimes you get the feeling Connor knew Logan a bit more than the others did, you know, like without all of that kind of corporate bullshit around it. You know, these little moments where, you know, he's like, oh, did he never tell you about this? His, you know, his big mm. old gothic His crypt. five million tomb. <laughs> yeah, his tomb. <laughs> Made by a dot-com pet supply guy. <laughs> so good. I love that moment, you know, and they all go, oh, five mil. Good deal. Good yeah, deal. You know, I mean, like. It's a great um, tax write-off because technically it's a residence. <laughs> yes, exactly. And then they talk about, you know, there are some other, you know, I don't even know what they call those things. Like, there's, there's like drawers that you can pull out where you can have other dead bodies in the same yeah, tomb. Yeah, yeah. So right? it's like, it's a crypt. A lot of families do that, right? Yeah. Where, you know, I guess if you're wealthy, you have a big family, you can buy a giant crypt and then other people can be buried there in those um, yeah, in those in the pull-out coffins. Yeah. I'm sure that's not what they're called, but that's no. what I've think of when I see them. And I love that conversation they have around that as well, you know, like Connor mm -hmm. being like, oh yeah, I could go for a top bunk here, in, in here, you know. <laughs> Although I'm crazy for cryogenics. Yeah, of course he, of course Connor <laughs> is crazy for cryogenics, right? Oh, so good. And I love it when Shiv goes, I'm intrigued to see how he's going to get out of this one. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. loved, I loved these little lines around this moment. Um, yeah, really, like the really catfoot Ozymandias. Yes. Amazing. So good. Amazing. So good. Yeah, um, wonderful little, Connor gets few moments in this but as ever like I, you know Connor's had a great season I think in a mm. way you know some really really fun lines um, and you get a little tiny glimpse of Jerry a, a few times in this episode as well yes. and again Jerry there's no bullshit anymore <laughs> like, oh she's out like she's got her bag she's great she's she's gonna be fine and you know uh, just like a slight back tread to yes. Shiv's speech because you know when it ties into all the women, the, his romantic uh, partners, mm -hmm. also Shiv and also Jerry, you know, Shiv in her speech, she's she's a little bit very apologetic. She's very like, oh, I'm sorry to take up your time. Ha <laughs> ha, lol, I'll be done soon. But, and it's kind of a haphazard kind of nothing speech, except for one line, you know, when she says it was hard to be his daughter. He was hard on women. He couldn't fit a whole woman in his head. Yeah. And that is, I think, just sums it up perfectly mm -hmm. the experience of being Siobhan Roy and the experience of being a woman in uh Logan's orbit like Jerry he it like it just any woman in his life needed to be one thing and if she failed at being that one thing she was gone and we've seen him try to fire Jerry multiple times because suddenly she became something else so it became a bit more complicated he's like absolutely fuck this yes and I thought that was again very simple very beautifully put and that little moment as well, kind of odd but beautiful moment when Shiv stands up and walks towards Frank and Carl and says, Dad wasn't really, how bad was Dad? And then Frank goes, mm. he was a salty dog, but he was a good egg. And Carl said, what you saw was what you got. Yeah. And Shiv just then leaves and the two of them kind of look at each other like, were they bullshitting there? But like, again, this really, really sad truth that probably the people closest to him in business knew him better than his own his children. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. those are the people that knew Logan Roy, not his own mm. children, essentially, right? And mm. uh, it's just, there were just, it's almost too many to go through in this episode, but these little encounters between all of these tertiary characters, it just, it was just wonderful stuff. I loved it, you know? Like, I found myself, I try and write down quotes and stuff, and I Same. found myself almost writing down every single line 
line of script in this episode, you know, because every interaction was incredible. Yeah, Yeah, gold star for the Red Devil. Um, So good. No, but there is, and also, you know, the other supporting kind of business people are Mencken and Matson, right? Who finally get to interact. Now, we've spoken about kind of this and what it means for Shiv already, but I did find it particularly funny when Matson appears and he's doing his like little tall goblin walk in, (laughs) hunching over, and just says, Willkommen. Willkommen. such a dick <laughs> it's so good yes more and more again Matson feeling like this kind of like infantile douche boy right mm-hmm. you know and again like Mencken isn't like that Mencken he actually doesn't say much does he like his words feel a lot more powerful because he says less he just kind of looks and he listens to mm. people a lot of the time you mm. know and he does feel like the person that has the most power in that room and that that awkward hilarious cringy moment when everyone goes around him and is trying to get a bit of his attention and time mm-hmm. until Shiv like pulls him away but yeah it is uh the dynamic between it was really fun to see that Lucas and Mencken come together in that moment. And I'm so what's going to happen? Is Mencken actually going to support Kendall and Roman? Because that seems like it might be off the cards well, by the end of the episode, right? It seems like it's 50 50 at this moment. Like there's enough stuff that could um, lead us to think that he's going to support Ken, uh, definitely not Roman, but you know, Ken and Roman or yeah. Matson and Shiv, because if they place an American CEO, namely Siobhan, um, at the helm of the company, then maybe he'd be more comfortable with it. We don't know. And I think it's really deliberate that it's very much pretty much down the middle, right? Like it could go either way. So that's all going to be resolved next week at the oh last ever episode. And by the way, Mike, it just happened, but I've managed, thanks to a very lovely listener who messaged us, secure a ticket for the finale. Amazing! So, like, no more sleep for me for the remaining seven days. No. And no, you know no, what? No. I'm happy to. I think that's going to be an absolute vibe. I cannot wait. So you're going to have to tell us, like, obviously we're going to talk about the finale in depth, but you're going to have to tell us what that experience was like, seeing it with an audience and seeing it at two in the morning. I can't wait to hear it. I mean, considering I can barely stay awake at 10 p.m., let's hope... Like a lot of Barocca is going to be exactly. on. Exactly. A lot yeah. of Barocca. Absolutely. Um, so should we finish with some power rankings and, and favourite lines? Let's do it. Who do you think sort of came out on top by the end of this episode? Hmm. Maybe Kendall? I, I don't know. I think Kendall. Yeah, for sure. Because he's definitely riding the wave of another good speech. Yeah. yeah. He had an, 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 and he did. And like you said, it's not the first time we've seen this, but it did feel like a kind of Darth Vader transformation moment almost in Kendall by the end of this episode. So we'll mm-hmm. see. We'll see if that sticks for once or not. Um, and, uh, and who's the saddest person in this? Oh, we know. We all know. We know it's baby girl Crumbling Roman. on the floor, Poor being thing. literally kicked and punched by people in the street by the end of this episode. You know, again, it felt almost medieval. It felt like something you'd see on Game of Thrones, you know, where the evil king mm-hmm. walks out into the streets and is attacked by the townspeople. Mm-hmm. Like, that's almost what it felt like, you know. Um, again, something kind of Shakespearean about it. Um, his literal fool yeah. from Grace. Um, yeah, incredible stuff. Uh Favourite quote? We've talked about so many quotes already, but any favourites? So yeah. many. Oh, my God. I mean, honestly, I kind of want to say the three speeches. Me too. But, you know, particularly the, you know, the the magnificent, awful force of Logan. Um, but also so many good Tom lines, like, Logan is boxed and ready to be delivered. <laughs> um, so much. So good. <laughs> or... <laughs> Or, um, you know, Shiv saying, what do you think of the handsome Nazi uh, to Matson and, you know, all the Roman stuff like, oh, Marcia's looking chic. I might have to have sex with her on dad's uh, on dad's <laughs> coffin. Another old timer. But yeah, I'd say really, I would say Kendall's speech. I just think it's so beautifully written. It's so powerful. It's so yeah. dark. And it's so it feels ominous as well. Yeah. And to compliment that, I will also say, Ewan's speech. And again, James Cromwell, Mm. incredible. James Cromwell as Ewan is so interesting, isn't it? Because he's almost as scary 
as Logan. Like, I would equally not ever want to be in a room with Uncle Ewan in the same way that you wouldn't want to be with mm-hmm. Logan, but in a different kind of way. But they are both equally as intimidating yes. and horrible, really, right? But yeah, his speech, you know, talking about, you know, he was he wrought the most terrible things. He drew in the edges of the world, darkened the skies, closed men's hearts. Like, again, it mm-hmm. kind of sounded almost apocalyptic the way that he described this man and it was and talking about he fed a certain kind of meagerness in men and maybe Mm -hmm. I have that meagerness and like all of that you know it's just again just like these speeches I I feel like I could listen to over and over again just incredible stuff amazing so there's someone do a a techno remix so we can listen to them but with a nice beat (laughs) with a bit of Romans whimpering in the background as well So there you go. Anna, we have one episode left to talk Just about. one episode. Holy shit. Oh dear. Oh I mean... my God. And then I feel like we're going to have to do, we're going to have to do some sort of post-mortem roundup as well, because I feel like this is going to be the sort of show that I'm going to need to sit with for a few days after that finale as well, you know. It's it's probably going to be a three hour episode. Yeah. <laughs> what yeah. we record about the finale. So get ready for that. Prepare yourself. Absolutely. Um, but in the meantime, Anna, um, I hope you managed to get some sleep at some point in Cannes this week um, and let people know where they can find you and more of your work online. So sleep is cancelled for the foreseeable. <laughs> um, but yes, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Anna B. Demented. Um, I'm posting kind of my reactions to the Cannes films that I've been seeing. Uh, I'm doing a couple of reviews. You can also buy my book where I talk a lot about other um, f- monstrous female characters like Siobhan Roy called Unlike All Female Characters, The Woman Pop Culture Wants You to Hate. And you can also listen to some of the podcasts that I do with Mike uh, on their respective feeds and also subscribe to my horror film history podcast The Final Girls. Yes, and as well as finding all of the podcasts that me and Anna do together, you can find My Horror History Podcast, The Evolution of Horror wherever you get your podcasts. That is it for our penultimate episode of this season. Join us next week for the finale of The Succession Easters. The Succession Easters! (laughs) Beautifully done. (laughs) Fuck off.